Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Father God, as we open your word and study and help us to learn not just about you, help us not to learn what the passage says or God, even what it means, although that's so important. God, help us to learn what we're supposed to do. I come to you so humbly because I I need you to preach this for me, God. Lord, I pray that the words you allow me find hearts and minds that are ready to receive and desire to bring you the glory that you're so worthy of. God, give us peace as we study today. And we love you and we praise you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. My name is James. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm so glad that you are here to join us. Whether you're here in the room or for those who are joining Online, I hope you're comfy. I hope you're comfy here too. If you have your Bible, grab that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20. We're going to walk through verses 41 to 47 today. Before we dive in, I do want to uh, mention the, the little save the date announcement there for Easter. We've got a ton of Easter stuff coming up. And so I, I'd love to make you aware of that and then also ask you to be praying about that because there's some new things for us. Kind of pre-Easter, the week before Easter, we'll have a, a message to get us ready to invite people, hopefully, to come and hear the good news. And then we're having a Good Friday service. We've never had that before. We've talked about it. We're really excited about that, preparing our hearts again for Easter Sunday. And then on that Saturday, right before Easter, on April 16th, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. We've never done that before. We're super excited about that, about involving folks in the community who can come and enjoy that. And then that Saturday night, we'll have uh, the first of our three Easter services, and then on Sunday in our regularly scheduled times, a couple more services. So we're super excited about that. And, And again, as you're praying for all the logistics of the events, could you be praying about somebody that God might put on your heart that needs to come and hear that story? The story we're gonna talk about is the greatest good news ever. It's the story of how God loves us so much that he went to the cross. That God sent his son here in the first place and he went knowing that he could go and pay the wages for our sin and defeat sin and death and and allow those who profess faith to be reconciled back into the relationship he desires for us. It's a phenomenal story. That's what we'll be sharing over Easter and people need to hear it. So I hope God's putting people on your heart. Today we're gonna continue walking through Luke's gospel. And we've seen over the last couple weeks, kind of setting the scene for today, Jesus being confronted over his authority, right? People were questioning, where does that authority come from? And then we had that neat passage where he's like, do we pay taxes to Caesar? What are we supposed to do there? And last week, this big question, was the resurrection real or not? And, And Jesus handled all these questions pretty well because... Duh, he's Jesus. <laughs> and so he's going to do that well. We get that. But what he's doing is he's playing defense, right? These attacks are coming at him from all over, and he's responding to these challenges. But in today, he's going to switch gears just a little bit. He's going to stop playing defense. He's going to go on offense. 
Now, some of this might be precipitated from what we saw to close the passage last week, said people decided we're just not gonna ask Jesus anything anymore. Because <laughs> every time we try and trap him, he turns and tricks it and, and turns it on us. So, so that might be part of the reason, but for whatever reason, he's gonna go on offense here because these people that he was dealing with, they were deceiving people. Folks were out there looking for the truth and these people were trying to lead them away from the truth. We know in God's word, it says Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's not the only one. Anybody who tries to lead people away from the truth, anybody who tries to mislead someone, that's a deceiver. I don't like being deceived, do you? Doesn't feel very good. This week, there's a minor holiday on the calendar, April Fool's Day. Some folks go all in on that day, right? They, they go big or go home. Some of us just stay in bed all day and hide because we're pretty gullible. <laughs> I can fall for almost anything. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. But one of the greatest April Fool's Day pranks I've ever read about occurred in England in 1976. There was an astronomer named Patrick Moore, and he appeared on BBC on British Broadcasting on a call-in radio show. And he st was sitting in the studio. He explained that on that day, the planet Pluto which I don't think is even a planet anymore. That's not an April Fool's joke. I think it lost its planet status. But back then, the planet Pluto was gonna pass behind Jupiter. And so at 9.47 a.m. that day, the gravitational pull on Earth would be so much lighter that people literally could float, right? This is the story that he's telling. You could jump and you'll jump higher than you ever have before. And so he comes on this radio show at nine o'clock and for like 45 minutes, he hypes this up. And at 9.47, he goes, okay, get ready. This is gonna happen. And, and man, the phone lines started lighting. <laughs> Folks calling in going, I was in my house and I jumped and I hit my head on the ceiling. <laughs> One lady called in, there's 11 of us here in the house. I got friends, family over. We jumped and we floated for a, a full minute. And Patrick Moore is dying laughing because he's like, you guys know what day it is? <laughs> it's April Fool's Day. None of this is real. And yet folks fell for it, right? They were deceived. And then they wanted to deceive others. And, and that can be harmless. That can be funny. Praise the Lord. Nobody went and tried to jump off a cliff because they could defy gravity. But, but the reality is some things are harmless. Some things are funny. False religion is not. A false gospel is not funny. And that's the fact that Jesus is going to encounter here. These religious leaders, they were always trying to question Jesus. They were trying to deceive people. So it makes Jesus go on offense. And he's a great head coach, so he's got a good game plan here. His intent is going to be to show these religious leaders who keep challenging him, you don't understand what you're talking about. You don't even understand the challenges. And it came from one of the big things that we still see today. They were misinterpreting the scriptures. We still do that. Or some people just cherry pick the things they like out of the scripture and they try to elevate that and leave out the parts they don't like. And, and honestly, we've got to be honest. Some of the confusion comes because some of the things in the Bible are really impossible for fallen, finite human people to understand. Can't wrap our minds around all the things Jesus was teaching. Well, back in Jesus' day, people rightly understood the Messiah was coming. They'd heard about that prophecy for a long time. They knew he was gonna be a physical descendant of David. They knew that, they understood that part. They just didn't get the rest of the story, right? And so they looked at their life experience. They looked at the things going on around them. And they're so tired of being dominated and persecuted by other nations. So they end up developing this false doctrine. Now they think Jesus is gonna show up and he's gonna be a great military leader. He's gonna show up and be a great political savior. He'll usher in this time of peace and prosperity on this planet. And they were deceived. 
And the result was they wound up with just a myopic, a tiny, tiny vision of who Messiah, Messiah was supposed to be. So when he showed up as Jesus in the flesh, now his goal is he's going to go on offense here. And he's going to teach people. Not only is the Messiah David's son, David's descendant, he's also David's Lord. Bigger than what they thought. He's going to be God in human flesh. And people need to get that. They need to have a correct view of the Messiah. Otherwise, it's too easy to fall into a false religion trap. We still see this today, sadly. People falling into those traps. There are a whole bunch of churches that call themselves churches that attract plenty of people that do not follow sound doctrine. You can build a building and put a cross on the top and write church on the door, and that doesn't mean you're a church. doesn't mean they're doctrinally correct. There's a lot of big churches across the world right now teaching prosperity theology. Somebody stands on the stage with diamond cufflinks and they flew in on their private jet and they say, well, if you just sow your seed of blessing, just sow that seed and it will be multiplied many times over. And I can't find that anywhere in the Bible. You got to stretch scripture way out of context to even come close to that kind of doctrine. Prosperity theology is false religion. Folks are still deceived by it today. And so this false religion problem that Jesus is addressing here in Luke 20 is because he wants these people to have the correct view of the Messiah. Why? Because when we have the correct view, we're less likely to fall to this false religion. Now, the bad doctrine here, it had kind of a name and a face because it was embodied in this group of religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were not correctly representing God. One of the scariest realities for me being a pastor is that I'm afraid people will look at me and go, well, I want to do it like Pastor James does it, right? <laughs> and so I'm going to create a nation of Diet Coke addicts who root for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, and if you drink Diet Coke and root for the Cardinals, that's great. But none of those things help me to be a Christ follower, right? They don't have anything to do with my relationship with the Lord. And that's what we're going to see Jesus' address today was this notion of folks who might see the religious leaders around them and think, well, gosh, they're spiritual leaders, so I'll just try and do what they do. I'll just try to look like they look, and that way I'll display my spirituality. Because it's true. Folks were seeing the religious leaders back in the day. They were dressing differently. They had the seats of honor in the synagogues at the banquets, and they would stand up and pray these ridiculous, long, flowing public prayers. So on the surface, I bet they did look more spiritual than everybody else. But Jesus sees hearts. He knows their hearts are far from God. He knows these people are full of pride and greed and selfishness. So he's going to go on the offensive to warn these religious leaders of the judgment they're going to receive. He says, it's coming unless they repent, unless they have a change of mind that results in a change of action. And the action would be they'd start to see Jesus clearly, correctly. This passage breaks down kind of neatly into two parts. The first section is verses 41 to 44. Jesus asks a question, which is gonna help us identify what a genuine relationship with God is all about. And then the second part in verses 45 to 47, he offers a condemnation. He's gonna expose the motive behind this false religion. Don't have your Bible, join me here on the Sky Bible, starting in verse 41. Luke writes this. Then Jesus said to them, this crowd of worldly religious leaders, how is it that they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, and he quotes Psalm 110 here, the Lord said to my Lord, this is God talking about Jesus, but notice that David refers to Jesus personally, calls Jesus my Lord. 
David says that God told Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And now, I love this, Jesus does that thing that people had been doing to him over and over. He throws out a little gotcha question. Therefore, David calls him Lord, and how is he his son? Last week when we talked about correct doctrine and false doctrine, I stressed the point that we're going to talk about Easter coming up, right? And the Easter message is that salvation is by God's grace. We receive that gift. We receive that grace by professing faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. That is the path that leads to eternal life. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're gonna wind up in that relationship God desires to have with every person he's ever created. And that relationship with God through Jesus, that is the bedrock of Christianity. And yet folks have confused that foundation a lot over the years. So we have to remember, at its roots, Christianity is not some system of of having positive thoughts and good morals. I think Christ followers do have positive thoughts and good morals. That's great. But genuine Christianity is not achieved that way. Genuine Christianity is not achieved by going to a church. Again, I'd make the strong case it's good for Christ followers to go to church. Being Christian is not about some transcendent spiritual experience. Although, again, being a Christ follower is supposed to be experiential. We can't just talk about being a disciple. We have to live that out. Pastor James, where are you going with this? Having good morals? Going to church, having a spiritual experience, none of those things makes us a Christ follower. There's only one thing that makes us a Christ follower. Know what it is? Following Christ. (laughs) That seems pretty easy, doesn't it? We have to have a personal relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus. I'm not making this up. This is the story scripture tells. The apostle John records Jesus' words. He's praying to his father. He says this in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. You ready? That they, and Jesus is speaking specifically to his 12 disciples in this context, but understand it's broad. It applies to everybody. This is eternal life, that they may know you, who? The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Now, I guess we can ask, what does it mean to know Jesus? Well, it means we have to know the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's the big picture that Jesus is trying to paint for these religious leaders. He's not going on offense to play a game. He's not going on offense to stir up some interesting theological debate. This is actually a passage about evangelism. He's trying to make this so clear, not just for the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, for everyone who was an eyewitness back in the day, for every one of us today reading this story. Look back. Jesus is always asking that question, who do you say that I am? Who am I? Do we truly understand who Jesus is? Because that concept is at the heart of a lot of false teaching. Boy, I hear that today from folks who are peddling false gospels. Well, Jesus would just want me to be happy. Jesus was just a good teacher. Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus was just a good man. Well, if that's what we think, we missed the lesson. Because none of those things mean he was actually God. Now, this group that was receiving the lesson here in Luke 20, they consisted of a bunch of religious leaders, and and some of those guys were Old Testament scholars. So Jesus points to the scripture. He reminds them of what David was inspired to write in Psalm 110. Verse 1 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so Jesus is saying, those of you who think that the Messiah is coming so he can be a political leader and overthrow Rome. Man, you're thinking too small. 
the Messiah will not only be David's descendant, the text says David's son, we also know, you know, he's going to be in the family line of David, but he's going to be David's God. He's going to be his Lord. I love that word. And Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to make all enemies, not just the political enemies, all enemies. Everyone who's in opposition to Christ, a footstool. What does a footstool mean? It means they're going to bow down. They're going to have to submit to him. It's such a big concept. Paul explains it to the church in Rome and to the church in Philippi. Look at the passage with me in Philippians. It says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A day is coming when that's gonna happen, amen? I promise it is. Jesus is gonna return and everyone who didn't view him correctly Everyone who didn't get both parts, Savior and King, Son of God, Son of Man, they're going to admit it then. Jesus is trying to be so clear because this is an evangelistic message and he wants folks to leave false religion and embrace true relationship. And so he quotes King David, whom these religious leaders would have had a ton of respect for, a lot of reverence for. And what Jesus is really saying is David gets it. If David is willing to call the Messiah not just his descendant, but also his Lord, his God, shouldn't these religious leaders do the same thing? Shouldn't we be willing to do the same thing? Shouldn't we acknowledge that Jesus, who came to this planet as God in the flesh, is Lord? I love that Psalm, Psalm 110. I don't know if you know this or not. That's the Old Testament scripture that is most often quoted and referred to in the New Testament. Read it on your own this week. It's, it's good. Jesus is pointing out here the human author is David. But there's so much more in this passage. There's this great picture of the Messiah as the supreme ruler of all things. That's the notion that he's the Lord of all. And later in the psalm, we see Jesus is God's appointed eternal priest. Passage that confuses a lot of people. He says, in the order of Melchizedek, he was a priest. He's going to be a future judge of all the nations. It's so deep. That's why this is so often quoted in the New Testament because it speaks clearly as Jesus as part of the Godhead, as the Lord of all, as the eternal priest, the eternal judge. Great stuff in there. Read that on your own. All we see here is verse one. Still super deep, still very helpful because what we get to do here is we listen in on a conversation between two of the three members of the Godhead. That's something that's tricky to talk about in scripture. I get that. It's the essence of the Trinity. God is one God who exists in three persons. God, the father, Jesus, the son, the person of the Holy Spirit, right? There's nothing we have on this planet that comes remotely close to that would help us understand that. We try, we try so hard. We come up with illustrations. Well, you know, the Trinity is like an egg, an egg has a shell and a yolk and an egg white. And I'm like, which, which part is Jesus? Is, is, is Jesus the egg white? I'm lost. <laughs> well, that's not a great, it's it, it really the Trinity is like water. Because water can be frozen in size and then it can be in this liquid state. It can be steam like gas. Which part's the Holy Spirit? Is he the steam? Is he a ghost? Because I thought he was a person. Is he the Holy Ghost? I, I don't get it, right? That's what happens when we try to take something that's so far beyond us and explain it. We're not cut out in this life to be able to wrap our limited brains around how this works, around how God exists as one God in three persons. That's so far beyond us. This is why we correlate scripture. We see his ways are higher than our ways. One day we'll understand it when we go to heaven, <laughs> when we're with God for eternity. 
And we quit thinking about the Trinity every time we make scrambled eggs or do the polar bear plunge. I don't think that's a good example, right? So, so this is what we see. Jesus quoting from Psalm 110. Two of the members of the Godhead are having a conversation. Now, if we could read Greek, this is less confusing in the Greek because the first reference to the Lord is the word Yahweh. Yahweh is Father God. And it says, Father God, Yahweh, is speaking to David's Lord. It's the word Adonai, that's Jesus. It's the Messiah. So Father God is talking about his big picture plan of bringing all things under Jesus' control. Remember we said that's part of the overall plan. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. That's why I said this is an evangelism message. Because God's desire is that people would bow and confess before it's too late. That's his desire. The reality is some folks are only gonna bow and confess and realize who Jesus is after he returns, after they've already rejected him for eternity. And that is a sad, sad picture. That's a little broader in scope than what we're talking here. Jesus is clearly teaching here that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. Yes, he's a descendant of David, but he's also David's Lord, his ruler. The religious leaders back in the day were missing half that truth. Yeah, he's in David's family line. We get that. I don't know about this other part, God and human flesh. This is so deep. We'll return to this psalm in just a couple chapters. It's mentioned again in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is asked if he was indeed the Christ, the Messiah. And so he references Psalm 110 again. He says, the son of man is going to be seated where? At the right hand of the power of God. Now, if we know the story from correlation, that's going to take place 40 days after his resurrection. What is Jesus going to do? He's going to ascend, and he's going to be there at the right hand of God where he is today. And one day, truly all of Christ's enemies are going to be a footstool for his feet. But we know that hasn't happened yet. That's not going to happen until the second coming. Now, let me just throw this in for free because I think this is so interesting. There are a lot of people who, who are alive today especially Jews who are not Messianic Jews, who don't believe that Jesus is Lord because they don't get this lesson. They don't understand what Jesus was trying to teach the religious leaders back in the day. They somehow missed out on the work that Jesus did at the first coming because they were looking for every single Messianic prophecy to be fulfilled when Jesus showed up that first time. Pretty clearly from God's word, a lot of them aren't gonna be fulfilled until he comes back. <laughs> it's at the second coming. That's why the Psalm 110 reference is so confusing for those people because they wanted to see Jesus come out and be an earthly ruler. They didn't understand he wasn't going to make all his enemies the footstool just yet, right? That will happen, I promise. If we read the story all the way to the end, Scripture tells us. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. This is talking about Jesus at the second coming. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Why? So that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Now church, this is why we should submit today. This is why we should submit right now before he comes back the second time. Because when he returns that second time, those who have not professed faith, they're gonna experience God's fierce wrath over sin. This is not something we wanna take lightly. This is gonna be a scary scene. Folks, you do not want to be in the wine press. You know what happens in the wine press, right? The grapes get crushed. That's where the wine comes from. That's bad news. It's those people who don't have a genuine relationship with God through professing faith in Jesus, when he comes back, they're going to do everything they can to avoid the wine press. Scripture says they're going to hide. Revelation 6, verse 16. 
And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. Hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Now listen, if this is your church and I am your pastor, you know I am not a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm not, I'm not trying to scare anybody into a relationship with Jesus. But I gotta be honest, I'm not making this up. I'm stealing this straight from the Bible. We have to see Jesus correctly. We need to avoid this mistake that the Jewish religious leaders were continually making where they did not respond to Jesus correctly. They didn't see him as Lord. They didn't see him as ruler of all. They didn't understand that concept of submitting to him. And God's wrath was gonna make all of the enemies come as his footstool. Yet the first time Jesus came to earth, he came as a suffering servant. He came to die for his people. He came to pay the debt for our sin. We love that. When he returns, he's coming as the conquering king. He's gonna make everyone who did not see Jesus correctly bow and confess that he's the Lord of all. This is a deep, deep passage. And so I'd encourage you, I already gave you homework to read Psalm 110. If you've never done this, read through the Gospel of Luke this week, okay? It's, it's work, it's gonna be a lot of reading. Read through any of the Gospels, that's fine. But as you read, ask this one question. At every turn, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who does Jesus say that he is? I was reminded this week studying of the great C.S. Lewis quote. I love Lewis. Lewis suggested that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Because no one in their right mind would make those first claims. No one would try to say they could do miracles. No one would say they could fulfill prophecy unless they were a liar or a lunatic. And yet Jesus did those things. So what does that make him? Lord. These religious leaders who were opposing Jesus, they didn't want to concede that. They're spending all their time trying to prove he's a liar or a lunatic. That's why Jesus goes on the offensive. That's why he takes the question to them. Do you truly know who I am? Do you know Jesus? Are they going to respond to that message correctly? We'll see as we continue studying. But here's the deal. We're being presented with the same question today. And we have to answer do we believe Jesus is Lord? Or do we think he's a liar or a lunatic? If Jesus is the promised Messiah, then he's Lord over such a great man as like King David, then why shouldn't my knee bow? Why shouldn't my tongue confess that Jesus is Lord? Shouldn't I make that profession of faith? Because a genuine relationship with God doesn't come from just intellectually believing that he wasn't a liar or a lunatic. The relationship part comes in making him my Lord. It's a word that scares some people, but, but it just means he's my ruler. It means I'll be subject to him. I'll follow him. Because that's at the heart of being his disciple. And that profession of faith is what puts us on that path of sanctification. It's that big word that means we're gonna become more and more and more like Jesus. So that's the takeaway. Do I truly know him? As my Savior, as my Lord, as the Lord of all. Or do I just know about Jesus? I know a lot about him. And when I'm actively not sinning, I like to go to church every now and again. I like to hang out with church folks. They make me feel good about myself, right? Is that a relationship? That sounds like religion. Sounds like a lot of religions to me. 
In Mark's gospel, he records this same interaction and he includes a nugget that just blows my mind. And, and again, Jesus is referencing Psalm 110. He's talking about David's response. Mark records this. David calls himself Jesus' Lord. So in what sense is he his son? It's the same question, but get this. And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. Jesus is preaching this message that's ultimately about condemnation. They're like, this is great. They're watching it like it's March Madness or Broadway shows. Like, this is awesome. I bet Jesus was a great public speaker. I really do. But it's not enough to go to a church service and enjoy the sermon. I have people tell me sometimes, nobody in this church, they'll come, come tell me after sermon, man, that joke was great or that story was great. I'm like, were you listening to the sermon? The sermon was more important. I stole the jokes from somewhere. I'm not that funny. Are we getting this? This crowd was there and they're like, oh, we love it. Jesus is great. This is the same crowd that in just a few days is gonna be there again yelling, crucify him. Do we think they genuinely had a relationship with God? I don't think so. That's what Jesus wants to know. Okay, that's part one. Jesus is sharing the, the critical importance of truly knowing him, knowing who he is, having a saving relationship with him. In part two, this will go a lot quicker, he addresses what false religion looks like. And man, he starts calling some people out. He's saying that having no relationship with God is practicing false religion. It's only concerned with trying to impress other people. It's trying to look religious on the outside. Luke writes this, starting at verse 45. And while all the people were listening and enjoying it, apparently, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now remember, Jesus does this thing that good teachers should do. They don't only present the truth. They don't only preach the truth in love. They correct bad doctrine. They correct false theology. So Jesus calls these guys out, and he does it in three specific areas. And the first is, it's really obvious, these Jewish religious leaders back in the day, they enjoyed all the attention they got. It satisfied the desires of their flesh. That's super clear from the text. They said they liked to wear the long robes. They loved the kind and respectful greetings they received. They loved the prime seats they filled. They devoured widows' houses. You catch all those action words? Liked, loved, devoured. Those are lust of the flesh words for sure. Those are actions that are marked by pride and greed and selfishness, not submission to Christ as Lord of all. Does this practice sound anything like Christ's counsel to his followers from Luke chapter nine, verse 23, one of the most important commands in all of scripture? Luke 9, 23, you remember this one? And Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We're not so good at denying ourselves, are we? I know I'm not. And this is why we fight against God's word in so many areas. We twist it and we stretch it and we go, well, I know this is what is written, but it really didn't mean that in that context. It actually meant this, because this is what I want it to mean, because that'll make me feel better about myself and I'll get to do what I want to do. That's not it. Why don't we just submit to what it teaches? Because it's not easy. 
These religious leaders are battling the same way we do with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's their first issue. Their second issue is their focus is on man, not God. They wanted to look spiritual for other people. Common folks back in the day wore colored robes. White was really hard to come by. But, but what did these religious leaders wore? Long, white, flowing robes with fringe at the bottom. They wanted to be set apart. They wanted to stand out wherever they went as religious. And it worked. When they'd walk through the marketplace, people would greet a master, rabbi. They, they'd yell at him. When, when they entered the synagogue, they would sit in the places of honor. And the way the synagogue was back in the day is you'd walk to the front, and then the seats at the front were actually turned to face the congregation. So if you were a leader in the synagogue, everybody got to see you, got to see your face. That's what they liked. They'd throw big parties, these festivals, these banquets. And a lot of times people who were throwing the party would invite one of the scribes because they knew if they invited a scribe, the scribe would bring all of the students. And so you'd be getting a bunch of folks to come to the party. And then you could point at them at the party and go, see, I know that guy. I know that religious leader. Look at all the followers he has. And it was just trying to impress people. Wasn't anything about impressing God. The part that's scariest to me, it says these religious leaders devoured widows' houses. They went out and offered long prayers for appearance sake. This is just sad. Several commentators I looked at this week, they said the scribes were likely offering prayers for hire. They would hire themselves out as professional prayers. They'd approach needy widows and offer to pray for them in exchange for money. These ladies who couldn't make ends meet and they're, they're bilking them. They'd go to people who were sick. They'd go to people who were grieving and they'd say, hey, for money, I'll pray for your health or for money, I'll pray for your dead relative. Just give some money to my church. Does that sound familiar at all? Of course, they'd stand in the public square and perform these long, loud prayers for everybody to see so that folks would think they were spiritual. How's this gonna play out for them? Do we think we can fool God with performances like that? I think sometimes we must think we can. Church, for sure, Christ followers do pray to God. We pray with God. And if you pray for hours on end, that's fantastic. But are we listening to him as he speaks into our situation? Could be through his word, could be through his still small voice, could be. be through folks he puts in your life to pray for you in situations? It doesn't matter. But we, we do that so we can deepen our relationship with God, not impress other people. We should never dress in a certain way, act in a certain way to pretend that we're more spiritual than we are. Why not? Because we're trying to deceive people if we do that. That's practicing false religion. And that's scary. That's Jesus' final point for these religious leaders of the day because practicing false religion led to great condemnation for them. That's the judgment I believe that's waiting for all modern day false teachers too. Because if we're using religion for financial gain, if we're using religion for personal privilege, I believe that is misusing God's grace. That is misusing the greatest story ever told. That's misusing his tender mercy in the worst possible way. That's deceiving people in an area that determines our eternal destiny. And so the text says those false leaders are gonna receive greater condemnation. The Bible actually supports that notion. There's gonna be harsher consequences for false teachers when they refuse to submit to Christ. 
We've actually seen that a couple times already in our study through Luke. If you remember back, Luke chapter 10 mentions it. Luke chapter 12 mentions it. Revelation mentions it over and over again. That's Jesus' closing argument here. Beware if you're out there trying to deceive others with false religion because you're going to wind up in the worst possible consequences. It's really the bottom line from this passage today. Any message that intentionally deceives people, any message that's leading people away from God's truth, any message that diminishes the critical importance of a genuine relationship with God through a personal relationship with him, through his son Jesus, that's a false gospel. It's a deficient gospel. Because the true gospel, a genuine relationship with God, that's the greatest good news ever. But false religion, that that involves outward signs of spirituality in order to try and impress people and benefit personally. And so Jesus warns these religious leaders, you gotta avoid that like the plague. What about us? I know we don't see hearts the way God does, but, but just as we observe people that God puts in our paths, can we tell? Can you look at someone and tell by their actions, by the way they appear, by their prayers, if they genuinely know God? It's tricky. I read a story one time about a a guy who was the headmaster of a Christian boarding school, big school out on the East Coast. This guy was in charge of literally hundreds of students at a time who attended this school, but he did not appear to have a lot of outward joy. Very gloomy guy, very somber, super legalistic, hard on the students, not supportive of the students. And and one day he was going to lead an all-school assembly. All the students gather and he's addressing the students. And the topic is the victorious life living as a Christ follower. And so all the students are there and he opened this message. He says, why do people call me a Christian? And someone from the back said, probably because they don't know you. (laughs) Kid probably got expelled. (laughs) See, God sees hearts. We only see outward appearances. Maybe that guy did love the Lord and, and he was struggling with something. We don't know. It's very difficult to look at the outside packaging and know what's inside. Trust me on this, God always knows. So we need to purpose in our heart not to deceive. We need to acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord. He's sovereign over all creation. If we do that, we won't lead people away from the truth. Because then what's on the outside, what people see, what we speak, it's going to accurately represent what's going on inside. I doubt I'm the only person who's noticed this, but I've caught a couple products doing this recently, specifically for me, it was breakfast cereal and deodorant, but, but there's probably plenty of companies doing this right now. But here's what I've caught. The packaging I'm buying looks the same, but there's less stuff in there. <laughs> there's less product in there. I caught it with the deodorant, the antiperspirant that I use. It used to have 4.4 ounces of smell good from my armpits. Now it got four, right? But the stick's the same size and they're charging the same price. <laughs> I'm just getting less stuff. What's the lesson? How something is packaged, how it's presented on the outside, that doesn't always show what's on the inside. We need to be so aware of that. Church is Christ followers for God's glory. Can we strive to make sure the outside matches the inside? And the inside matches the outside? Because if we get the inside right, I think it's gonna spill out of the outside. Can we purpose to be joyful? Can we actively present the joy of the Lord? the blessing of salvation that's available because of a relationship with God that comes by grace and through faith in his son? 
Can we purpose right now here today in front of God and everybody to say, I'm never going to present a false gospel, a flawed gospel, false religion? I pray that we accept that challenge. Amen? God bless you guys. I sure do love you. Let's pray. Daddy, help us to embrace that challenge. God, there there are struggles. We're going to struggle in our life. We're fallen people. We live in a fallen world. There's going to be sin issues around us. There's going to be relationship issues around us. The world is going to preach a false message to us. There's all these things that we have to contend with. But the reality is when our relationship with you is right, God, can we let that spill out of us in such a way that people see it and they're drawn to you? Not to us, not to anything we might do, but that we would just continually, passionately point to you as the savior of all, but also as our ruler, as Lord of all. God, help us to live that kind of life. Help us to be that kind of witness. Help us to truly be your ambassadors. That's what that word means. Ambassadors represent someone else. Help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to represent you. Help us to tell your good news. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.